small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dutton. And joining us tonight, Kyle, a very special guest. Mm-hmm. So excited that he's here. But he's here tonight to discuss uh, the time in his life when he, was, uh, when he was a pop rock star. He now works in television. We're going to talk about that first. But uh, everybody, Sean Cassidy. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing great. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, right. This, is, uh, this will drop about five days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. You've got quite uh, you've got quite a group to buy presents for. I do indeed. I have eight children, and uh, they are all uh, they're all needy. <laughs> <laughs> but you have some you have some young kids. I do. Well, I have I have um, I have like car seats since eighty two. Basically, <laughs> uh, I've been at it for a while, and I'm very grateful to, uh, to have all these kids. But I have four that are under thirteen. Yeah. We have four that are under 13, my wife, Tracy, and I. And uh, so Christmas is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, my youngest, uh, my, my, I have a, my youngest is 14. My oldest is 18. They're both freshmen, high school oh, and college. Great. But I was like, oh, Rita is 14. I'm like, oh, all Sean's most recent kids are all younger than Rita. Amazing, right? It's crazy. Yeah. And I, you posted a picture on Twitter. Uh, I guess you were at your desk writing and your daughter was looking yeah. out the window. So cute. The... Um, Keeps you young. Well, it really does keep you young. I mean, people told me that when I was 40 and thinking of having more children. And I actually went to a, a guy who was a friend, an older, wiser guy. And I said, am I crazy to be thinking about having, you know, I already had three, four. I have a stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, I could, I'll be in my 50s with teenagers. And he said, well, what are you going to do, play golf? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't really like golf. <laughs> I like kids. So, so that's great. It is great. It is great. Um, so he, so first of all, you, you're working on a new show called uh, New Amsterdam. I am. Yep. You're a consulting producer and writer. Yep. And uh, I watched the pilot and then I watched the third episode, which mm. is the one you wrote for the first half of the season. Yep. Although if you work in TV, you know that a lot of stuff's written by committee. Well, we do everything um, very much together. It's a great room, mm-hmm. eight writers, and yeah, we break all the stories together. We, you know, we have a bit of, everybody's a bit into everybody's mm-hmm. stuff, um, happily. Um, so the show has one voice. It was created by a friend of mine, David Schulner, and David and I had worked together on a show uh, a couple of years ago called Emerald City, and we both have deals at Universal, and... Uh, part of my deal, um, they asked if I would come on and help New Amsterdam um, get launched and uh, knock on wood, it's doing really well and, and uh, it's a great cast and a great group of writers and I've worked on a lot of shows and I think it's probably the happiest experience I've ever had. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. Now I'll tell you this, and this, is, this will be sad, but if you weren't coming on the show, I probably wouldn't have watched it because oh, well. there's, so, there's so much TV out there with you know all the platforms, Netflix, Netflix and all this stuff. But that being said, it's exactly the kind of show I love. I love when a guy comes in and wants to wants to mix it up, and uh, I, I loved it. I it's, really did. It's a you know I I'd never worked on a medical show. Mm-hmm. I'd actually never worked on any of the conventional cop, doctor, you know, lawyer things. Uh, my shows have tended to be a little more offbeat and yeah. more genre oriented. But 
Um, I saw this pilot and, and NBC had asked me to watch all of their pilots and I did and I, I just found it so um, uplifting and intelligent yeah. and uh, such a beautiful counterpoint to the mood of the country. <laughs> Uh, and and wait, you know, wait, what's Sean? What's wrong with the country? Is there something that I don't know uh, about? Well, I think Christmas is coming, so. We'll, um, but the, uh, you know, it it is healing medicine. The show, and, yeah. and it's proved to be that way for the audience, uh, because the main antagonist in the show is the system itself, the healthcare system, the broken yeah. healthcare system, and you have this doctor who's a real idealist, and it's based on a, a real doctor, Eric Mannheimer, who went into Bellevue Hospital and tried to save it uh, financially and ultimately did, but it was also diagnosed with throat cancer the week he started work. So he had to save himself along the way. And our uh, our leading man, Ryan Eggold, who plays uh, a fictional version of, of Dr. Mannheimer, is, is doing the same thing. Yeah, his character has throat cancer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm assuming he's going to get better. You never know. Okay. Maybe seven TV. years from it's now. TV, seven yeah. years from now. Yeah. Now, uh, I had, I told you before we started recording, I had a nasal procedure on Monday. They put a really yeah balloons. You, up. you wouldn't yeah. Uh, my insurance didn't cover this procedure. Oh, so I wish I would have uh, gone to New Amsterdam. Uh, that's what well, saying. that's what New Amsterdam <laughs> is good for. Yes, we don't turn anybody away. Listen to this. My insurance would cover this was a this was a an in an outpatient procedure done in office. Mm-hmm. I just took a, a Xanax and a couple extra strength Tylenol and. That was it. They didn't put me. Why is it not covered? I'm, it's, I have no. It's idea. not a cosmetic procedure. I so. know. Here's what is covered. If I would have gone to an operating room and, and put me out, and they would have done the surgery that way, that's covered. But then the recovery time's two weeks, and it, wouldn't that be more expensive to get a, a, an operating room and an anesthesiologist? You would another? think it's crazy. This was a piece of cake, or else I wouldn't be here talking to you today. I'd be there's a lot of still stuff that's crazy. I've learned. Yeah. One of the main things, we have two doctors on our staff and two writers whose parents were doctors, so we have a lot of people that have grown up around mm-hmm. medicine. I didn't at all. Um, and the one common denominator amongst all of them in terms of their, their medical advice is don't go in the hospital. <laughs> 150,000 people a year die of things they didn't have before they went <sighs> into the hospital. That's not a statistic anyone I, wants to it's hear. It's a bad one, but it's true. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, happy to help. <laughs> Uh, you, you are correct in saying you are not from a medical family. I'm not. You're, no. you're from a showbiz family. Uh, I am. I'm going to run it down. Here we go. All right. Uh, good fa- segue. Father. Yeah. What? Well, uh, like, hey, I'll, yeah. I'll latch onto that. Father was uh, actor Jack Cassidy. He uh, won a Tony award for best featured actor in a musical for his performance in a show called She Loves Me. That's true. Your mother, Shirley Jones. She won an Academy award. I said that as like it was better than a Tony. She won, no, for Best Supporting Actress for Elmer Gantry in 1960. Yep. And then your half-brother, David Cassidy, an icon in television, pop star, scored eight top 40 hits, three top 10, and one of those was a number one. That's a... It's a tough group to follow. That's a tough group to follow. And um, how's your mom doing? Is she, is she She's still- doing great. I had a hysterical experience with her today, actually, uh, she came uh, to Universal, where I have an office, and she was with some people from out of town, and they wanted a tour. And uh, <laughs> it was so, just, did she surprise you with this? No, I, I, well, I think it was on the calendar, but I'd actually forgotten okay. it was happening. And my assistant called and said, uh, hey, your mom's coming with some friends. <laughs> oh, early, nine o'clock. 
So I got into the office early and I met her and got out the golf cart and gave my mother and these two friends from out of town the tour of the back lot. You know, you're going by Jaws and, you know. You're doing that. I used to be a tour guide at Universal. Oh, you do? Okay, so you know know the tour. My first job when I moved here. Well, my first job was on a show called The Hardy Boys that shot at Universal. You just just one-upped me. I'm sorry. Well, I ruined your segue. (laughs) Go ahead. But, But my mother was so funny because she was like, oh, it's the Psycho House. Oh, it's so fantastic. Oh, look, there's the Whoville. It's Whoville. And I'm like, Mom, you've been on a movie set, right? I mean, this isn't like... But she acted, she was so excited about it all, like she'd never been around the movies. And, you know, she won an Oscar. That's endearing, though. That's that's lovely. Yeah. How old is uh, your mom right now? My mom is 84. It looks younger than both of us. (laughs) Um, My mom's 82. Kyle's my nephew. Oh. Um, And his dad... You look younger than both of us, too, Yes. His dad... How excited was your dad that Sean was going to be here? Because why? Super excited because he's he's a fan. He likes the Hardy Boys. He likes your mom. He was like, but, he's, but to be honest, he's a bigger fan of your mom. <laughs> that's all right, and I think that's good. <laughs> um, what was I? Uh, what was my next thing? What was I going to say? Oh, the Hardy Boys. Okay. So, what came first? You you wanting to be an actor? Or you wanting to be a singer? Or did you just want to do a little bit of everything? Well, I mean. Per your bios of my family, I think, and I don't think I knew this at the time, but I think that there was so much unspoken pressure, um, not from any of my family. Mm-hmm. In fact, my family was like, you know, do anything but go into show business. But from the the, the greater world at large, sort of had me already on a train mm-hmm. by the time I was a freshman in high school that I was basically going to do this. And I loved music, and I, and I was in bands all through high school, mostly like... Um, pre-punk bands um, playing, you know, clubs on the Sunset Strip before I should have been let into a club (laughs) on the Sunset Strip. And, you know, I I went to a boarding school in New York when I was 15 and I, and actually was in Pennsylvania, but I would sneak into New York every weekend and I'd go to CBGB and I'd go to Max's Kansas City and I met David Bowie in this transvestite bar at four in the morning when I had to get back, you know, to biology. And you're what age at this time? 15. Now, can you imagine your 15-year-old doing this? No, I, it terrifies me. <laughs> right. and I Isn't think it about scary? it, I, I pray that it's not genetic because <laughs> I had, uh, to put it gingerly, a Dickensian childhood, and <laughs> I am certainly lucky to be alive, and I think about it a lot, yeah. really. Uh, and, and frankly, the most dangerous part of my life was before I ever had any success as a pop singer. Yeah, uh, It was when I was just this young kid, kind of uh, loose, yeah. and... and um, I was an old kid, and and I was. You mean an, an old soul? An old soul, and and I was a pretty smart kid, and and I knew exactly. I was the kid in school and knew exactly how much work I had to do to get a C. Yeah. That kid, you know. Me too. Okay. Uh, and the rest of the time, I was just trying to figure out who and what I was going to be, and how I was going to find my own voice in this family of very loud voices. Yeah. And so, to, to answer your question. Uh, I don't think I wanted to be an actor, but I kind of thought, well, I can do that. Yeah. And I could sing. And there were people that wanted to give me record deals. And and I ended up signing one. And off I went. But I kind of went kind of in it, but not of it, in the sense that I was objective about all of it. And my identity wasn't tied to it. I just was thinking, well, if I can have some level of success, I won't be known as Shirley's son or David's brother or yeah. Jack's son or whatever. And I'll, I'll be known as me, and then I'll try and figure out who me is. 
uh, and figure out what I really want to do for a living. And that's kind of what the trajectory of it, my career is. It seems is. like it worked. It seems like it, it all well, worked out. Well, who knew out. it would? Right, but, but it, it, it I'm very fortunate that it worked. Yeah. But I, I mean, I spent about 10 years, um, I kind of stayed home for the 80s. <laughs> I mean, I just stayed home and read books and tried to figure out how do I recover from this very, very successful early career to transition into something that might have greater uh, legs and uh, be more representative of who I really am. And you probably needed that 10 years so that when you came back and you wanted to write, people would take you serious. Yeah, but you know, I, one of the reasons I wanted to come on your show, I've never done this before, by the way. I've never listened to my early records and kind of thought about what was I thinking when I wrote that song or chose that song to mm. record. And at this point in my life, after having spent really 25 years as a writer-producer, yeah writing a lot of things, uh, I'm curious as to what that 17, 18, 19-year-old kid was thinking when he was writing those yeah. songs. Um, so it's, it's, it, it is sort of a, a full circle examination, if you will, for me. Well, you just saying that really just got me excited because I saw that you were on, because I've been thinking about having you as a guest for a long, long time. And then I saw that you were on Dana Gould's podcast. Yeah. And then I thought... First one I'd ever done, by the way. And this is the second one. The second, so. And I thought, yeah. I go, oh, okay, he's, maybe he's open to doing a podcast now. Let me get in touch and let him know what we do here. And, uh, and I was hoping that, that you were... Uh, it's enough time has passed that now you're, you were ready to discuss this music. No, I'm, I'm curious about it. But, it, but it, you know, a lot of the stuff, maybe uh, you may know more about it than I do or remember. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm curious about it, and, and, and um, I've thought some about it, so hopefully I'll have something witty to say about all this. And you said, you said the only thing is that, uh, that you wanted to pick the songs, and I was totally cool with that, because I'm like, well, he's obviously going to pick songs that he has some stories about. Well, I probably so have stories about almost about all, all of them, but uh, th there are songs that, to me, of the early stuff I recorded that hold up better, and that have more resonance for mm -hmm. me personally, for whatever reason, either because I wrote them or because there's a more specific story behind them other than we just chose that right. one and recorded it. And that's the thing that I think people might not know is that you wrote a lot of these songs. Yeah, I wrote about half of them. And you wrote some really good ones. Well, thank you. There's, and when we get, we'll, we'll get to one that I, that I absolutely love. I think it's one of your best songs. And, uh, but let's start now with, uh, okay, to do Run Run. Yep. This went to number one. Yes, and To Do Run Run was not the first song I recorded, and it wasn't even the first song released as a single, because I, I was signed uh, through Warner Brothers in Holland. Mm -hmm. That was my, my first deal, and they were doing this thing where we're going to sign American kids, and maybe if you get a hit in Holland or Germany or Australia or wherever, it'll give it more, it'll pop uh, at an American radio station. That was the theory, I think. And That's a weird theory. I've never heard of it. I hadn't that. either, but, the, but you know, there it was a different time and there were, you know, every radio station was getting hundreds and hundreds of records every week. Yeah. And, um, how do you make one pop out? Well, this was number one in Luxembourg. So, you know, uh, so they tried that with me and I had some success, not in Holland, but I had like a top 20 in Germany and I had a number one in Australia, maybe two. Uh, and, and I'm still in high school. I'm like a you know, senior in high school. Yeah. Uh, and I got out of high school and I, and I literally needed a job and I was uncertain, should I go to college or whatever? And I'm making records, but I'm not making any money. I'm just sort of, you know, finding my way. And my then manager said, 
who was my family's manager, basically like my aunt, okay. <laughs> said, uh, you know, why don't you go out on an acting audition to see if you can walk and talk at the same time in case you have to walk and talk at the same time somewhere. And I went on two auditions. The first one was a film uh, called The Shootist with John Wayne. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ron Howard got the part. I was just going to say Ron Howard got the part. And the second audition was for The Hardy Boys. And I got the part. And suddenly I'm on an American television show and Warner Brothers kind of slapped together half the songs that had been released overseas. And I raced in and recorded the other half. And one of them was To Do Run Run. And the reason I recorded To Do Run Run was because it was one of the first songs I remember hearing as a little, little, little boy mm-hmm. on the school bus that used to take me to kindergarten. And I loved Phil Spector. And so. the song is, and I was 13 when this album came out. And I, I guarantee I did not know that To Do Run Run was not an original song. Right. You know well, I, I think mean? a lot of kids didn't. Yeah, then, kids uh, didn't know. Yeah. So uh, let's hear uh, To Do Run Run from 1977, number one song. Sounds great. Sounds like a pop record for sure. Do you do you mind the title uh, "Teen Idol" when someone says that? Others can say it. Former, I try not to. But. Sure. Former uh, teen idol. Um, uh, former lots of things. Former second baseman on my little league team too. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's it's funny. <laughs> it is, um, but I guess it's accurate uh, yeah. uh, for the day. That the what's interesting about listening to that song and listening to a lot of songs uh, recorded then is I always had a really deep voice, deep voice. Yeah, because um, you have a, you're, you definitely have a deep. Well, voice it wasn't right quite now. as deep then, but right. it was still pretty deep. It was it it was a lot deeper. I sounded a lot older than I looked, okay. and I looked really young. I looked younger than I actually was. That's how you could get on into all these places you weren't supposed uh, to be. Into. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but uh, Michael Roy, uh, Lloyd, who produced much of my early records. Um, they would speed my voice up just the slightest bit. Uh, so if you listen to most of these songs, you can't quite find the key they're in. I and mean, I've tried. I've sat at the <laughs> piano and was that in G or C or C plus? It doesn't not. It's because it's not quite a full half step up, but it's it's a little bit higher. And 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 they didn't say it's to make you sound younger. They said, oh, it's more poppy sounding. Um, but I think it was a bit of both. And if you listen to the live album, which maybe we'll listen to something from... Yeah, I, you, I have uh, That's Rock and Roll okay. studio and live. Great. Well, in, in the day, that's the same day as me recording those songs, yeah. I don't sound the same live. No. Uh, I sound closer to the way I sound here. Now, Michael Lloyd, this guy, he is like over 100 gold and platinum records. Yeah, and he has an interesting story, too, because he and Mike Curb worked together a lot, and both... It ran MGM Records when Mike was like 21 mm. or something. Um, and they had a lot of success early on with the Osmonds and um, other, lots of other people. Uh, and, and Michael continued to have success later uh, with Dirty Dancing and all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, 
we used to record in his converted uh, garage, basically. And did you did you have did you actually have uh, input into these records? I had some. I, I think it grew as the record as we continued. I mean, I was so young and inexperienced when I started. So with the first one, they're kind of guiding you a little bit, very much so, right. and choosing stuff and and and. Um, but it but, worked, but and, it, it, and it works. It, it certainly worked. Yeah, and and you know, it, it, they had way more experience about making songs for kids than I did, uh, and you know, I had a little version of the you know the Beatles cleanup in that I was in punk bands mm-hmm. and I did not look as sparkly, uh, squeaky clean is that, as, as is I do that on that debut album, album cover. cover. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that debut album cover <laughs> that is taken in Germany where I had gone to do a promotional tour right after they've taken me to the Hofbra house where I've probably had like three beers at 16. <laughs> right. And they took that picture. I, I didn't choose that picture for the album cover. It just ended up on the it album. Just cover. Ended up. And I, I never loved that picture either, by the way, but um, I guess they knew what they were doing. Cause I guess other so. people liked it. My, uh, my sister was nine and she got this album, I think for Christmas. And I, I made fun of her for getting this album. And then She's playing it in her room, and I hear, that's rock and roll. Well, I was 16 at sick of school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I bought a guitar. I got the fever. That's rock and roll. So the rest of the story is, after I heard that song, she was always coming into my room and saying, give me back my album. <laughs> <laughs> that's my album. That was, I got that. That's not your album. Uh, that's, that song still, I never get sick of that song. I love that song, and, and I loved it on Eric Carmen's album. Sure. Which is where I first heard it. And I'd been a big fan of the Raspberries and, and of Eric's, and you asked if I had any you know thing to say about what we recorded. That I wanted to record that song, and I pitched it to Michael and... He liked it a lot, and we did it, and um, it was a very big hit. Went to number three. Yeah, and um, on the heels of it being a, a big hit, uh, Eric Carmen called me. <laughs> I don't know what the next song is you're going to play, but I have a good segue for you. Well, I'm going to play first. I'm going to play that's rock and roll oh, live, great. Okay. so we can hear. Uh, Le- yes, your the, voice, your, yes. your true voice. The difference. <laughs> That's rock and roll I played at parties Played in bars Spend money by new guitars Scream a holler But I love it That's rock and roll See, I, I, I like that a lot I like better. It, I like it too. And I think I remember like 
the couple times you would sing on the Hardy Boys, I think that's how your voice sounded more like that. Well, that would make sense yeah, I was, because I was probably singing live, live to a yeah. track or to Steve Lukather playing guitar. <laughs> and somewhere there is Steve Lukather playing on the Hardy Boys with me. I, oh, I would love to find that clip. I, I want to give a, a little rundown of some of the people that played on this uh, first album. Uh, Jay Graydon. Yep, Jay he, played on a lot of records. Yeah, uh, and he's uh, one of the things he's known for is the guitar solo on Steely Dan's Peg. Yep. He also won a Grammy Award for Beth, Best Rhythm and Blues Song for the George Benson song, Turn Your Love Around, which he co-wrote with Bill Champlin from yeah, Sons sure. of Champlin in Chicago and Steve Lukather. Yep. And then based on the D. Murray from the Elton John Band. And, D. Uh, and Davy Johnston played on a lot of stuff. And Mike Pocaro from, the, uh, from yep. Toto and uh, Carlos Vega on drums. And Carlos was our live drummer. That's Carlos you heard um, on the live That's Rock and Roll. Yeah, he's on, all the, he's on four yeah. of the five. But um, yeah, great. I mean, great players. It wasn't like you no, know, no, no, a a plus. Yeah. So it was now was that intimidating? This is your first record, and do you know the pedigree of all these guys? Or are you just like, oh yeah, hey Carlos, what's uh, up? I, the studio guys I didn't know at the mm. time, and um, most of them were just a year or two older than me. They were all really young. Yeah. Uh, Davy Johnston and D Murray I knew because of Elton, and and I'd been a fan of those records. And if you listen to Hey Dini, I mean, there's a lot of you know, Saturday night's all right for fighting and bitches back in those chords and the licks and the sound. All right, well, let's hear it. This is from the second album, Born Late, and this is also written by Eric Carmen. Let's hear Hey Dini. song goes to number seven so you have three top 10 hits in a row and i recorded that song because eric carmen called me after that's rock and roll had been so successful he said hey if you like that one i got another one <laughs> and, and these, these were these were hits for him this wasn't a hit for him this was actually a demo he hadn't put on a oh, record he hadn't. okay cool and he sent me the demo and i loved the song and we went in and recorded it and uh, that is my favorite of the singles uh, the back in the day singles uh, hey Dini. That's the one I find myself singing a lot in, in the kitchen making breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Uh, on this, the second album, um, well, I want to, I want to touch on this. You were, you were nominated for, uh, for a Grammy for best new artist. Yep. Do you remember who you were nominated against? against? And I remember who won. Don't say the winner yet. Okay. Um, I actually opened that Grammy. So I was the opening act on the show. That's cool. Um, and I was sitting there looking at Barbara Streisand in the front row and thinking, man, I really like that Foreigner group, and they're nominated <laughs> too. And then my old friend uh, from L.A. growing up was Debbie Boone, who was nominated for You Let It My Life, but surely Debbie can't beat me. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> and then Stephen Bishop. Stephen Bishop. Who's, right? been on, who's been on the show. Mm -hmm. Andy Gibb. 
Was Andy nominated yep. that year too? Oh. Sean Cassidy. Those are oh. the five. Well, that's 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 great competition. Mm, Foreigner was the best one, <laughs> and they didn't win either. So I they felt a lot either. better. No. They, they, I mean, I, with all respect to Debbie, but they yeah. rarely gave best new artist to a uh, like a rock band back then. When I was looking back at the list, it didn't seem like they did. Well, what's interesting is I think they thought I was going to win because they usually give like, we'll let him open mm-hmm. the show because he'll be picking up a yeah. Grammy later. And did, did that make you think you would win then? I don't remember thinking about it one way or the mm-hmm. other. I wasn't that invested in that. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Fisher was my old friend and date that night. And Carrie had just opened in this film called Star Wars, you might have heard of. Mm-hmm. And, I, might, uh, I might own that. So we were a very popular couple that night. Yeah. And that was kind of more fun just going with her and... and having a laugh about all of it because both of us, you know, six months earlier had just been two goofy kids. And, and now you're, you know, you're skyrocket to, yeah. uh, the, yeah. um, a little bit about the Hardy boys. I, um, I tried to copy that, uh, that, uh, Sean Cassidy hair. I would, uh, I would get it to look like that. And then I would spray it like so much of my grandmother's hairspray, Aquanet until it wouldn't even move. And it was uh, yeah, that's pretty much what mine did. Yeah, too. and it was uh, it was ridiculous. It yeah. was ridiculous. And I loved I loved the Hardy Boys, but then I didn't like Nancy Drew. Now I liked Nancy Drew. I liked Pamela yeah. Sue Martin, uh, but but I never really watched those episodes. I liked the Hardy Boys. Well, uh, America followed your lead, yeah, uh, because they ultimately canceled her show, and Pamela was great, but uh, the Hardy Boys was more popular. Yeah. So. They ended up trying to meld us, and that didn't work too well. But um, they, when the, the first season, it was alternating. You know? Yeah, and then the third season, it was just the Hardy Boys. Right, and by then, we'd become like FBI, like SWAT team members. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> do, do, your, do your younger kids know anything about your music or the Hardy Boys or any of that? They know a little bit about all of it, and mm-hmm. they always find it hysterical. Even my older <laughs> kids, by the way. I mean, I was you know, I almost retired at like twenty two or three and staying home and having kids. Mm -hmm. So even my older kids have never really seen me perform. I mean, they've seen me play piano in the living room or whatever, but, um, and the younger ones only know me as a writer and a producer. And, uh, so this whole part of my life is just a mystery to them. And it's a bit of a mystery to me too, but, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I'm, I, I mean, it was, it was great fun. I have no, no regrets about any of it, but it does seem like a, a different life. Yeah, I'm sure it, yeah. it, 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 just listening to the music again, it, it just feels like it was a, such a long time ago, but uh, still great memories and still makes you feel good. And this song you wrote, and I love this one. This is one of my favorites of yours, Teen Dream. Yep. Um, I had, I was, there was this television special on starring the Bay City Rollers. You remember them? Oh, I certainly do remember. And they, they were like the sort of the teen idols of the moment in like 75 or 76, and I'm a junior in high school, and I'm watching this special, and I'm watching the kids going crazy and, you know, peeing in their seats and doing that. And I'd seen this, certainly. I'd seen it with the Beatles as a little kid and the monkeys and, and my brother David. But when I watched this show, it, this sort of idea landed on me that it, the whole teen idol thing isn't a, really about the artists. It's about the audience. About It's about their shared experience this sort of hurricane hormonal hurricane and you you were an old soul to have that revelation at such a young well age. people thought because of the song called teen dream later that i'd written it about me mm-hmm. and i hadn't i'd written it about the audience and 
me sort of looking at it and trying to see it. And I, this was before it had happened to me. Um, I really like the song. I really especially like the lyric. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Let's thanks. hear it. Teen Dream. laying down some cowbell in there for us yeah this should have been a single this was uh yeah i think so too uh rolling stone actually wanted it to be a single rolling stone magazine yeah they wrote a whole story about how much they loved that song yeah that's a great tune thanks so uh go to itunes and if you've never heard that song go buy it i'm sure sean will get uh half a cent (laughs) yeah is that what it is i'll get the satisfaction of knowing you bought it these uh these cds you can only get uh on amazon and they make them on demand Really? Yeah, that's how they do it. I didn't know that. They make them on demand. But you can order these songs on iTunes. You can get right? them on iTunes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still, I love physical music. I'm oh. holding it and I'm still right. like yeah, that Yeah, I guy. do too. So, now you said uh, you play the piano around the house. Were you, do, you, do you ever sing around the house? Were you sing a couple of Christmas carols in a couple uh, of weeks? Yes, I do. And I play the guitar. Not very well, but I play the guitar. And um, again, one of the reasons I was interested in doing this is I have been really for the last 10 years, every couple of years, I think about, should I go out on the road and like, just, just for fun or just really to tell stories? Yeah. Go to the Canyon uh, Club. Well, maybe, or, or anywhere. Or <laughs> anywhere. Maybe, maybe start further away than the Canyon Club. But, <laughs> you don't want to do it in uh, your own backyard? Uh, well, we'll, we'll get there. But uh, I, again, this sort of storytelling, because my, I've made my living as a storyteller, mm-hmm. but part of the story is this music. And, and, and I am a singer. I, I actually think I can sing better than I could sing then. That's great to know. Now, yeah. Um, but how to do it and, and keep my day job. You know, uh, which I love. Well, there is hiatus. TV has a hiatus. Not a little much bit. for me. It's it's hard. And, okay. and you know, the eight children too. It's, well, uh, it, but but you know, I've heard you can get a bus and put kids in a bus and yeah, do shows. And uh, if this ever happens, you gotta send me an email immediately. I will. You'll be the first <laughs> to know. Uh, Born late is that? Did you choose that title because yes. because you were an old soul? Yeah. And you like that? You still like the old music? I did. I mean, as a little kid, I liked music from the 50s and 60s. And I mean, I'm really, you know, I was in high school in the mm-hmm. 70s, late 70s. And, and uh, but again, the Phil Spector stuff, the Wallace Sound stuff, the Beach Boys, Beatles, um, early soul music all really spoke to me. Yeah. And, and I'd come from, you know, my parents were Broadway and right. movie musicals. And my, my mother had been in like the trifecta of movie musicals with, uh, Oklahoma Carousel and the Music Man. So that was the kind of music playing in my house. It, it was theatrical. And that's what I think, the, 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 like the Phil Spector record, they had a theatricality about them, an operatic quality about them. And I wanted to meld that somehow. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the songs to be timeless. And 
one of the things where you're going to get to some records that I think fall down is that they try to be too much of the moment as opposed to leaning into being timeless. Well, Born Late is my second favorite of your albums. I agree. Okay. Well, we'll we'll figure out. It's it's my second favorite of my albums, too. All right, cool. We're going to find out what uh, each of our first one is. But first, we want to hear Walk Away. You chose this one. Tell us about why you chose Walk Away. I chose this one because um, on, like, in social media, I get a lot of people mention songs they like. And this happens to be a very popular song with the public, the people who bought the records. And I wrote the song... Um, and it's funny because I wrote it like the perspective of, of, of a man looking back on his life. And I'm like, <laughs> I might've been just 18 when I wrote it. That's insane. Uh, um, but I was in an early relationship that ultimately was very, uh, um, dramatic to put it mildly. Aren't they all uh, at that Well, age? maybe so. Uh, but, and we often confuse passion with insanity, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. Um, but so part of me was like very romantic and wanting to be in this relationship. And the other part was clearly like, mm, maybe you should walk away. So there you go. But so, it's a big poppy sort of 70s ballad. And you wrote it. And I did. Let's yeah. hear it. Do you remember when life was simple and plain to see? Easier to pretend than to close the door and turn the key. Living at home, being laughing and crying, touching and feeling and dreaming and dying. Life without love is life that's denying the heart. Walk away It's a great, uh, a great vocal performance by you on this one. Really great. Thanks. Um, yeah, it sounds, again, like the older guy. <laughs> well, you know, life is challenging. Like, okay. Now, we, this, this song that I'm going to mention, I'm only mentioning it because you co-wrote this with another person that has been on the show before. There's a song on this album called uh, It's Up to You, and you co-wrote that with Bill Moomy. Yep, Bill was an old friend, is an old friend, and um, was in my band for a while, too. He's he's great, and he's made so many solo albums. Yeah, go Barn, to iTunes. Barnes and Barnes. Uh, and, and yeah, Barnes yeah. and Bones and Bar- Barnes and Bones. That's not yeah. one. No. And then he just made this record, Action Skulls, with yeah. Vicky Peterson. Yep. And John Calso, and yeah. that's what they were in promoting, and they were fantastic. Oh, great! They were so they played live right in this room. I'll tell Bill you said hello. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, I said his name wrong uh, to start because I thought it was. I thought you said it Mumi, and he was like he was fake mad. I hope he was fake. I think he's used to it. Yeah. But he uh, told Moomy. Moomy. Yeah. Bill Moomy. Yeah. Not Billy. Not anymore. No way. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's move on to Under Wraps. I love, uh, this might be my favorite album cover. It's I my guess. favorite album, I think. This is your favorite one. Yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, I if I could meld Born Late and Under Wraps, uh, take the best of both, it would be by far my favorite album. Um I, I had the most to say about it. 
I probably wrote the most on it. Yeah, you did write it. I feels think four the or most, five on here. It feels the most um, representative of who I actually was. Um, and album goes to number 33. Hmm. No real singles, though. No. That is true. But, but it has one of my favorite tracks ever, which I hope you're going to play. It's called It's Like Heaven. Let's hear it. I'll tell you why. I think I know why you like this. You tell everybody. Well, if it sounds anything like the Beach Boys, there's a reason. Uh, that song was written by Brian Wilson, and he had a, a little demo of it. And I'd heard the demo at Jerry Beckley's house. Jerry was a friend. Jerry was in a band called America, is in a band called America. And he played me this demo that Brian had made. And I said, I love that song. I want to record it. And I don't remember who reached out to Brian, whether it was Jerry or I asked Michael Lloyd to, or I did directly. I can't remember, but Brian's daughters, who mm-hmm. later became <laughs> Wilson Phillips, were big fans. There and, you go. Dad, you have to have Sean Cassidy record it. So I went over to his house and he answered the door with a stocking over his head. And his two little girls, Wendy and Carney, who were like eight and 10 or whatever they were, uh, sort of holding his hand, saying, Come in and come in. And he played me the song on a big, beautiful sound system. And I said, I want to record it. And he was thrilled. That's thrilled. And we did it, a much bigger version of it than he'd had on his demo. Mm -hmm. But we certainly did it to sound like the Beach Boys. Wow, that's fantastic. And I love the lyric and I love the song. And I'm I'm really proud that we were able to do it. Um, He had a stocking on his head. Yeah, he thought it was funny. Okay. (laughs) I'm robbing your (laughs) 7-Eleven. Um, what, when you were when you would go out and do live shows, what kind of uh, venues were you playing? How big were the venues? What was that? Was there a touring schedule, or did you would you just go out on the weekend and play a couple shows and then come back to L.A.? How did it, it, it was both. I w- I started when I was doing the Hardy Boys, so I could only go out on weekends, and I would fly out on a Friday night and do a show on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we did like matinees, like we were the Ice Capades or something. <laughs> We'd have like the afternoon show and the evening show. And then we do a Sunday, and I'd fly back Monday morning and be at work. So it was a little crazy, but I was you know younger then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the summer, or whenever the hiatus was from the show, we'd go out and do like two or three weeks. And I'd be playing big stadiums. I mean, my last show, my last concert ever was at the Astrodome for 55,000 people in 1980. Thank you, good night, done. You're, you, that was a Sean Cassidy headline yeah. event. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. What yeah. Does, what, um, does, um, what does Parker Stevenson think of all this uh, weekend touring? I, think, doing he, the Hardy I Boys? think he looked at all of it with bemusement. <laughs> uh, he remains a friend. I just saw him recently and he was very, uh, you know, very kind about all of it because I'm, I'm sure it wasn't always easy, you know, because they were working around me and my mm-hmm. schedule. And But Parker was older than me and 
Parker, when we did the Hardy Boys, he just graduated from Princeton with an architecture degree. And I'm thinking, what are you doing being an actor? <laughs> well, he was uh, so, he's so good looking. He had to be. He was very, yes. And he put himself through college, I think, doing commercials and some yeah. films and things. Um, but he was very gracious about, and I'm sure he had to endure a lot with all the, you know, extracurricular stuff I was doing around the show. Um, but I loved doing those concerts. It was really fun. And they were big, big, big yeah. uh, stadiums. You know, I basically played every basketball arena in the country and. Uh, and then I just stopped. And in that sense, I have kind of the weirdest resume in show business because I've never tried to come back or, mm. you know, I, I have never played the Canyon Club or whatever, <laughs> whatever version of, uh, uh, I just transitioned well to uh, dad and then I was doing a lot of stage acting and then I started writing and the first pilot I wrote was American Gothic and it uh, became a big deal. With, uh, with Gary Cole? And Sarah Paulson mm-hmm. and Lucas Black. And um, it was sort of like this, you know, very talked about, yeah, very dark show in 1995 or four, before, you know, antiheroes were the thing. And, and the fact that I had written it, I think, is one of the reasons it uh, got talked about more because it, the people couldn't do the math on the person they thought I was right. with the show that was they're like the guy the guy that had three beers on that album cover <laughs> i didn't know i had three beers. <laughs> i know <laughs> the um and uh yeah and that's when you can buy that uh you can buy that series on dvd including i think maybe two or three episodes that never aired on network they might have aired but they were aired out of order that mm-hmm. i mean you know like um i have a few shows on my resume that are, are whatever they say cult hits that means canceled quickly <laughs> Um, but the American Gothic certainly is. I mean, it's popular at Comic Con, and you know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, and then you did you did a show with, uh, with Heath Ledger. I did. I gave Heath, I think, his first job yeah. in America. Certainly bought him his first plane ticket. Um, we did a show called Roar on Fox. It was like uh, Braveheart light, and uh, we found Heath in Perth, and he was like a surfer kid who'd done a little local stuff and. He was just an extraordinary actor. Even then, at 18, 19 years old, he had a maturity about him that was extraordinary and command and a lovely guy and a tragedy that he's not here. And um, and so when he auditioned for that show, he auditioned in front of you? Yeah, he, he did it on tape at first and then we flew him out here and he tested for Fox and the executives at studio and we cast him and then we went to Australia and shot the series to be Ireland in the fourth century. That's amazing. Yeah. You have great stories. Also beautiful cast, uh, uh, Carrie Russell and Vera Farmiga mm-hmm. in that show. And uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten to work with some really extraordinary people. And they got to work with you. Well, they, uh, they did that too. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, next song off under wraps, we're going to hear is Taxi Dancer. What do you got to tell him? Well, what's that? interesting about this song, I love the song. Um, I wrote the song and this song is very telling because it's a story song. And it's, I, I, you know, I didn't even know what a taxi dancer was. I looked it up somewhere in a book and I heard about these women that you could pay to dance with you mm-hmm. back in the, you know, pre-depression days, 20s, I think. Yeah, it's not, uh, a, it's not like a stripper type thing. No, 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 it's no. Total, it's actually like, it's like you know, ballroom dancing they shoot horses, don't they? I mean, you yeah. go and you pay people to dance, you dance till you drop kind of thing. And lonely guys, you know, spend the night just dancing or, and women made a little money and, um, but there was something sadly romantic about this. And I, I, again, I'm, you know, 20 years old or whatever I am thinking about this. I'm, what am I thinking about this for? <laughs> but I wrote this song. It was very sort of poppy, you know, very McCartney-esque, I think. Um, 
And uh, I, li- I like the song. All right. So do I. Let's hear Taxi Dancer. Sheila was a girl misunderstood. A real operator, a legend in the neighborhood. She was bad, but Sheila had taken by the wind. Dance all night, hold me tight. What's interesting listening to that too is that so many of those songs I used my falsetto because again my voice was deep and the keys we do these in I, I you know I'd be singing the verse in in a very high register mm-hmm. and then I had no choice but to, to go, go up uh, but I think it's because when I was in high school all the you know the big bands of the day the rock bands Led Zeppelin and and Yes and all they all these singers had these crazy high voices yeah. So I had to develop this falsetto so I could sing. It's been a long time since rock and roll. Yeah, you know? if, you, if you have it, use it. Use it, yeah. Here's what I wanted to ask. When you were, when you were 18, 19, 20, you, you're thinking like an old soul. Now that you're the age you are now, are you thinking... Way younger. Way younger. <laughs> way yes. younger. No, truly. Yes. I mean, I, I know. I mean, or, or else you'd be thinking like a 100-year-old. No, I, I, I don't even know if it was old. I was just I was serious. I just mm-hmm. was thoughtful, you know, thinking all the time instead of having fun. Uh, I have a lot more fun now, for sure. Uh, and, you know, everybody has a different arc and yeah. journey and whatever. You learn stuff at different times in different ways. And uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly born to be a writer, though, yeah. for sure. Now, in all this um, uh, recording and touring, did did David have any, um, what do I want to say, any, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not input, but advice. Advice. Did David have? Because he had been through this. So did he have any advice? Advice for you? He had. I mean, he. He. I don't know if it's advice as much as. I mean, certainly by example. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I was able to avoid a lot of the things that tortured him, and I'm also a very different person than he was. So I. So I. I treated the whole experience, I think, differently than he did. His identity was much more wrapped up in his success or failure of it. And mine wasn't. It just, it, I, it, it, I, it wasn't, or you just didn't let it be. I, I, I both, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, he had resentment about being a pop star. He didn't, you know, he was desperate to be taken seriously. And I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. I still don't know what it means. Um, y- you have to have an appreciation for what you're doing. Some people are going to love what you do, and other people aren't going to love what you do. And that applies to everyone. Yeah. No matter what you do, um, but he was, you know, I, he just wanted to be something he wasn't, and I didn't know what I was yet, but I, I was okay on the journey, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if he had advice, but he, I mean, I love David, and I certainly had a, a great time with Dave. David was a very, very funny guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he also had all kinds of demons that uh, tortured him and 
torture those around him who loved him. Um, so that was hard. You don't seem like you're a demon guy. You seem like you're a demon-free guy, and I think... Well, I'm not demon free because I know a lot of demons, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I also think, uh, by, uh, by having, uh, young kids around you, you can't, you can't really be a demon. Well, I, I actually think being a father so young, uh, protected me from mm-hmm. bad choices I might've made because yeah, cause you got to look out for someone. I, I did, but uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to true. a lot of people who have children aren't necessarily thinking about huh. anything. That's true. They enter the door with stockings on their head. Right. Well, he was good. He was fine. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I was I was a dad at 21. I had a stepdaughter at 21, and I had three kids by 25. And I do think that kept me yeah. kind of on the even keel when I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was and what I wanted to do. And um, and now it, having younger children is is just a joy all the way around because I actually have something to teach them. Yeah, you know, I I'm not working so hard to figure out my own self. Right. Um, maybe more present uh, totally present yeah. and there was no nothing more fun than teaching them stuff I, my wife sent me a picture the other day of picture because i often work in la and i don't live in la and my two little daughters uh, seven and uh ten tomorrow actually uh were playing chess and i just taught both of them to play chess like a week apart the seven-year-old i did one night with her and then i did one with the ten-year-old and I didn't know if they were liking it or thought it was a mm-hmm. you know, boring dad game or whatever. <laughs> but I, both of them now are playing together. Oh, that's and I just so great. love that. Look it's at like, that. oh, they paid attention. They heard, you know. Oh, that's terrific. And uh, and my boys were, in, my 13-year-old and my uh, 12-year-old were doing a deck. And doing a deck is uh, you take a deck of cards and you do all the push-ups oh, yes. that, for each card. And I taught them how to do that. And <laughs> Do you want to do that right now? Yeah, I'm going to do it with you, and I'm going to kick your ass. You probably will. Um, Here's a question for you, because we just, uh, earlier in the episode, we were talking about uh, how you and I both kind of just knew we just did enough schoolwork just to get to see or just to get by. So when it's time to do homework, how are you with helping? Because I cannot help with math. I'm a very poor assist. I'm like, hey, let's watch a YouTube video and see how we do this math. Well, the the math has already dramatically changed since we did it, but... My wife was like Phi Beta everything oh, and top of perfect. her class and A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus, uh, which my oldest son is too. So they speak the same language All and right. she's great at, at that stuff. But I have the other stuff. There's know. stuff you can, sure, certainly, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I can uh, paint. And you can help with the with the English homework. I can. And they they all play music, too. All of them. Yeah, and that all was going to be another question, yeah. but that's great. Music in the house is always fun. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, my youngest... Uh, she said, I want to learn how to play ukulele. So we just got her ukulele, and she just didn't take a lesson. She just plays. It's great. And I have a son who plays ukulele, too. It's great. It's such a joyful noise it's coming beautiful. out. Beautiful. Because it wasn't, like, it wasn't like we said, you're going to take piano, and you're going to take piano lessons, and then it becomes a chore. She just goes in her room, and she plays it and sings, and I'm like, oh, she's doing this just for joy it, and, and there's no it. more beautiful sound in the house it's i wake terrific. up all the time with my littlest daughter at the piano or one of them singing it's so great mm-hmm. nice yeah uh and that must make your your mom feel great too when she hears the grandkids all singing the littlest one has the mom gene for sure i mean she has <laughs> like perfect pitch and again nobody's teaching her to sing yeah I mean, it's just, just it's just in your genes got it. yeah and yeah mom loves it All right, let's hear one more song from Under Wraps. This one's called She's Right. I have a story. All right. 
This song reminds me of like that it would be a television theme song for like a well, sitcom. It's funny. It's yeah. It's got a jazzy. It's got a jazzy thing, thing going. Yeah. Uh, I met. Well, as teen idols are prone to do, I met a girl. And um, how'd you do that? Yeah, how'd you swing that? I don't know. Um, she was actually a young woman, older than me. Well, everybody was older than me then. Um, and and she sussed something out in me about being in the middle of this whole experience and not really feeling comfortable in it. And she said, are you doing, really doing what you want to do? I said, I don't know. She said, well, you should really think about it because you're devoting a lot of energy to this thing and it's doing well, it's, being, it's successful, but I don't know if your heart's really in it. And it really wasn't, as it turned out. And, and I wrote that song about it, but it, more than that, I really started thinking about, am I following the path I should be on? And ultimately I found the path I should be mm-hmm. on, but it took a little time. And that girl really had some uh, per- perception about you. Very impactful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did, was that a long relationship? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just long enough no, to put you, it, set you on the right it, it path. Was, it was profound. <laughs> yeah. Um, background vocals on this album by Bill Champlin, Bobby Kimball of Toto, and Tom Kelly. And also you got a keyboard player named Tom Hensley on this, who's uh, was in the Neil Diamond band for years and years and years and years and years. Wow. I'm a Neil Diamond wow. fan, so I throw that in there. Turn it's on your heart funny. light. <laughs> uh, who can write a song about E.T. after E.T.'s already out and have a hit with it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we, we do. Yeah, we do know. Uh, okay, 1979, Room Service. You get a co-producer credit on this one. Hmm. Then I guess I should take full responsibility for its lack of success. Yeah, this one doesn't, um, this one's not your best work. Well, it's it's absolutely the worst album, and I'll tell you why. It is, and I say that as a person who no, can't sing or and has never recorded an it's album. It's the worst album because instead of digging deeper into where we were going with Under Wraps, mm-hmm. uh, interesting thing happened, um, and a, a tragic thing for these records ultimately, or my records, is I was I when I first started making records, AM radio was still leading the day with pop yeah. stuff. I mean, there was FM certainly playing albums and all that, but if you wanted to hit record, you needed to be on AM radio. Absolutely. AM radio was transitioning and dying, and the biggest AM radio chain in the country that had propelled the duo and run to number one and played all these songs, basically overnight said, we're not playing pop music anymore, we're oh. going country. Oh, thank you. And literally overnight, all my records were dropped, <sighs> which is why Under Wraps, Under Wraps just came out without really any airplay. That's and a still, shame. And still did, I mean, became a platinum album, did really well. But by the time Room Service was coming out, disco had swallowed everything. And I was not a big disco fan. The Bee Gees were dominant. Yeah. And, and everybody was running in fear. You have to make a disco record. You have to make a disco record. And I didn't want to, but I 
you know, I acquiesced. And so you have this record of me trying to sort of take what I'd done before and trying to give a nod to disco, and it's just bad. I, and but if we, you don't want to play anything from it, that's well, fine. We, we have two. You pick two. Well, no, you said you have to pick a song from every <laughs> record, so I said, well, what can I live with? Um, uh, actually, there's one song on this I love. It's not a disco song. Um, I think I asked you to play it. Which, which uh, one is it? Uh, uh, you still surprise me. Okay, we'll play that which one. Which is a and ballad. We'll play that one and move on. I'd love that. All right. That'd be great. But let me tell you quickly about this song. I wrote this with another friend of mine, Jay Greska, who also was in my band. And Jay is a very successful uh, composer for television. He's been working on Supernatural mm -hmm. for years and worked on 30-something yeah. back in the day. Supernatural and, has been on for like 14, oh, yeah. 15 seasons. It's yes. crazy. He can buy this studio. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yes, he can. <laughs> it's, I'll sell it to him. All right. <laughs> uh, but Jay and I wrote this together. All right, cool. When the world seems too cold And I feel like just had now You come along, open the door and just push me out And tell me, take your time I know you'll do just fine So when you're when you're making this album, when it's finished, do you, do you like it at the time? Do you think you did? Do you think, oh, I made this is good? There's a, a great lesson, mm -hmm. and you you really and I've had to learn the lesson more than once. Uh, anytime you're pursuing something, any artistic endeavor, you're going to be torn between what the people who want it to be commercially successful mm -hmm. want and what you feel is true to what you're feeling in the moment, and often what you're feeling in the moment will be commercially successful because it will have an authenticity to it that anything you're any you know outside dream you're chasing mm -hmm. or any idea of success that you are chasing ultimately is doomed to fail and i've written enough television shows and you know created enough things to know that i'm perfectly capable of dying on my own sword <laughs> i don't need your sword to die on and I also know that there's a greater likelihood that what I'm doing will be successful if it's authentic and it, if it is true to what I'm yeah. feeling. But it's harder to know that when you're 19 or yeah. 20. It's like, who am I and what it... Well, maybe these people are smarter than me and they're right, you know, we should make a disco record. Well, I don't really like disco and I don't really sing like disco. Yeah. And so, but that song, you know, I like that song. Yeah, that's a nice song. Yeah. And uh, thank you for your honesty too, because I could when this when you're coming up to this one, I was like, oh, here we go. And and you you well feel it's, about it. It's, you, I I don't I don't I don't um, begrudge that kid who made that right. record. I have the, I have empathy and understanding for him and for all the people involved. I mean, it might very well have been a great success, and I'd have a big goofy disco song mm -hmm. that I have to live with now. But 
you know, I, uh, I always think about this too. This might be, this, this is for sure someone's favorite album that you ever did. It's many people's favorite yeah. album. I know yeah. I get so letters, letters about yeah. it. I love that song. People are going to be disappointed. I said, I don't like it, but <laughs> I, I don't like it because it doesn't feel true to me. And yeah. the songs, <coughs> excuse me, that, that, that I'm still happy with, even if the production may be dated or yeah. there's too many background vocals or whatever, you know, stuff that I do differently now. Um, it, it, it's representative of who I am. And, and I, I got better at doing that as I started writing our drama, yeah. you know, these, uh, and these albums are coming 77, 78, 79, 80. These are just like this. You're like a machine. Well, there's a machine in place. I was sort of on that machine or (laughs) on the conveyor belt of the machine. All right. Now, here we go. In 1980. Yeah. Now, this is is my personal favorite album. Cool. Because... There are things on this album that are personally my favorite, but I find the album very erratic. And maybe that's why I like the craziness about it, but I, I love Todd Rundgren. I love Utopia. And when I found this, oh, man, years after it was released, like when you could go to like a cutout bin and find, and I'm like, Oh, what is this? And I really like the cover is, I don't know what, I don't know what wasp. I mean, there's a wasp on your face, but like, what (laughs) does that title mean? Is there a, is there some significance to that? Um, This all began because I was a huge and am still a huge Todd Rundgren fan. Mm -hmm. Something, anything had been like one of my favorite records ever. And basically after room service, the previous record tanked justifiably, um, it was sort of open season. You know, yeah. It's like, uh, well, hail Mary, let's find Todd Rundgren and see what he can do with this kid. And Todd kind of treated me like an actor. Hmm. Um, I said, should I be writing all these songs? He said, no, you haven't really written enough to justify that. And you don't have this reputation as a songwriter you need to uphold. He said, but you're an actor, so why don't you, we try doing different things and let you role play on songs and try different voices and different attitudes and so it was sort of an exploratory mission and he he had a bunch of like cover less well-known cover songs that he suggested and he wrote some and I had one song that he really liked half a song that we ended up writing together called Cool Fire uh, ironically about television and the dangers of television Uh, and we did it with Utopia the whole album I went up and lived with Todd at his house in Woodstock, New York for a couple Powell, months. Roger Powell. And Roger and Chasm and... and uh, John Willie Wilcox. Willie Wilcox and great guys. And But the record is so all over the map and there's some stuff on it that I think is fantastic and there's stuff on it that I think is ridiculous. Well, let's hear, uh, let's hear the one that you co-wrote with the band. This is Cool Fire. Yep. Where they co-wrote with you. Take it easy too easy to surrender to be drawn inside look away from the cool fire look away cause you might go back look away from the cool fire look away Satan, who is calling? Look away, 
sounds fantastic. I love that song. And you, you, I don't look know away from the Marshall McLuhan cool fire television. <laughs> Are you trying to sound like Todd though? Because you, you do sound like Todd. Um, I, I don't song. know if I was trying. Um, like if someone would have straight up at the, in 1980 said, "Did you hear the new Utopia song?" and played this for me, and hmm. then after the fact said, "That's Sean Cassidy singing lead vocal," I would have said, "What the fuck are you talking about?" It's totally possible. Yeah. I mean, um, if you listen to a lot of Todd's albums that he's produced of other mm -hmm. artists, you hear a lot of Todd in the artists. Oh, absolutely. The the, the tubes and uh, uh, there's so even yeah. Grand Funk and yep. Hall and Oates and everybody. Yep. It just um, happens. Cheap trick. He's not a shy and retiring guy. <laughs> uh, and I'm, again, I love the guy. And, yeah. and I'm grateful for the experience. But um, but there's a lot of songs on there, and I think you're going to play one or two, where I don't sound anything like him. No, no. And no. I don't sound anything like I'd sounded on any record before. No. And you, and you cover some very well-known songs in this, too. You do Rebel Rebel. Yeah. The David Bowie Rebel Rebel. Yeah, you don't like that. Uh, it, it 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 it. I liked it at the time. Mm -hmm. I, it hasn't worn well because it sounds more like a novelty. Mm -hmm. Like we're literally just goofing on it instead of we're some not, of it. I'm doing legitimately, but some of it is just goofy. But uh, you know, you try stuff. We're not playing that one tonight, but I have played it on here before. Oh, yeah. I, I do like it. Yeah, I, I don't. I just think it's cool. It, I just it, think the whole album is cool. It's fun. There's some really good stuff on the album. There's a, a song called Pretending I like a lot. Um, and Todd wrote three songs on this album. Yeah. Um, Pretending is one of them, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I really love It's My Life uh, because that's, that's there is next. genuine... Oh, good. Well, It's My Life is the old animal song, but we did it at like halftime, and I am raging on the song. And it it is really like my... Emancipation Proclamation. I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm breaking out of this, whatever this thing is. And if you don't like it, tough. Yeah, no one would know this is Sean Cassidy. No. Okay, let's hear it. It's my life. It's a hard world. Yeah, break in. All the good things have been taken. But girl, there are ways to make certain So cool. My, I think that's pretty bad. That's pretty cool. When yeah. uh, my hope when I do uh, shows with artists and we play deep cuts is that people listening to the show, you know, will will go and seek out those songs or these albums 
and, and or come me, see me live and, if and, I go out and sing them. I'm telling you, when I never thought in a million years that you were going to sit across from me tonight and say that you would you would you would venture a go at going out and singing. Well, live. I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I literally haven't figured out how to do it. Mm. Um, but I'd like to do it. And does your wife say, "Yeah, you should do that"? If you want to do it, you and should go. do Honestly, that. she has said it so your kids can see you. That's that's, cool. that's why. Um, and and because part of it would be stories and and mm-hmm. integrating just sort of a, a way of sort of like a full like, circle thing like the uh, VH1 series from long ago the storytellers where you maybe tell a story and then sing a song yeah and and i mean a lot of the songs even to do run run you know i can put it in a different context so mm-hmm. th- that doesn't negate the initial success of it and i don't negate it. i think it's all great i mean if you fall in love with a pop song and it's, especially it's like the first record you yeah. bought or whatever, but you lives in your heart forever. And it's a beautiful. Yeah. And I, I've said it many times on the show. I don't believe in that term. Uh, oh, I listen to that because it's a guilty pleasure. I don't believe that. If you like it, you like it. hundred yeah, percent. You don't have to qualify it. I have a jukebox anyone. in our living room that my wife gave me for my birthday. And wow, your wife gives good gifts. Yes, yeah, she does. Uh, <laughs> well, that sounded much more lurid than it was meant to. Um, in, in, when I said it too, it so um, uh, yeah. So back to records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I had a little tabletop jukebox when I was like twelve that my ovation had given to my mother on the Partridge family, like as a thanks for playing mm-hmm. gift, and she gave it to me. So I used to walk to Tower Records and buy forty fives in the early 70s yeah. and filled this jukebox. That's true. And I kept them all. And I have them all. And they're now in the jukebox in my living room. So this isn't, a, this isn't an MP3 player or a CD no, player. No, they're These 45s, are 45s. Wax. They come uh, out vinyl. and flip down. And yes. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the songs are silly pop songs that haven't really stood the test of time, yeah. but they meant something to me in the day. What, what and, would one of those be? Yummy, yummy? Not quite that goofy, but uh, <laughs> Love Grows When My Rosemary Goes, or uh, okay. there's a song called Tracy. My wife's name is Tracy. Tracy, when I'm with you. Who sings that? Something you do bounces me off the <laughs> ceiling. I mean, I it's, like that. it's silly. It's called uh, Tracy by the Cufflinks. Oh, I've never heard of that. And I don't, I don't know that that song is actually, a, you know, the gold standard of the day, but it has meaning to me because, and you know, sure. Now it's funny because it's my wife. But. Uh, I don't know if we got around to tell to to the answer why the album's called Wasp. Oh, we. Well, I'm not a wasp, really. I mean, I'm I'm Irish, so okay. Technically, I, you know, should have been called Shamrock. Well, maybe, <laughs> but um, there were these wasps in Todd's studio that were just relentless, and we both got stung a lot and then we then we sort of thought oh, it's a play on here's the you know this you know white boy kid okay doing these tunes and i don't know i don't know why also because i just thought it'd be a cool album cover and it, it's sort of a new wave album when new wave it was, really was is new. yeah instead of going instead of jumping on the disco train you waited a little bit and jumped on well i should have just jumped right over the disco train well, yeah, and, it, and went it, right because new wave is actually a throwback in many ways to the stuff the earlier stuff i was doing anyway and my punk band was very Ramones like, and Iggy Pop was one of my biggest influences. Wow. And you know, um, if I go on the road again, I'm going to sort of lean into that stuff, and that is timeless. I have to tell you, not if you go on the road, you're doing it. <laughs> well, it's whenever I said go on the road, I'd start thinking about oh shit, I'm going to be in airports and weird hotel rooms and 
funny towns. And I, none of that appeals, but, but, but seeing the audience appeals. Oh, that'd be terrific. Yeah. All right. Now this next song, I'm, I'm a gigantic Who fan. I love mm. the Who. I had no idea this was a Who song because somehow this, I forget what album this is on. Is it on, um, it's on one of the, um, I forget which Who. Well, this was Todd. Todd, Todd's a big Who fan. And yeah. He loved this song. He played for me. I'd never heard the song before. Well, the first time I heard it was your version. And, well, then, and then when I read, oh, Pete Townsend wrote that? Is there a Who version of that? And then it's on a quick one. But it it's was, on a quick one, was yeah. it Was it a hit, though, or was no, it just an album cut? No, no, it's just an album cut. Yeah, you know, there was a guy, a f famous uh, promotion man at Warner Brothers named Russ Thyret. And Russ was involved with rumors. And, you know, I, when I signed at Warner Brothers, I signed the same year Prince signed and Madonna signed. So it was a big year for them. <laughs> uh, and... Russ, when this album came out, loved uh, So Sad About Us. Yeah. And he said, that should be the single, that should be the single, that should be the single. And Todd and I were both like, no, Rebel, 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 Rebel. We were wrong. Well, let's hear So Sad About Us. I love that. I love yeah. the mess of all that. It sounds like a live recording. It really does. I, I had Kyle, I, he started to fade it down. I told him to fade it down. And then I was like, no, 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 bring it back up, bring it back up. Uh, yeah, that is so fantastic. And this, um, what do I want to say? I mean, not that, like when you recorded your other albums, you were with, uh, you know, studio musicians that you had worked with over and over. But this feels like a, like a band. Well, it is a band. It it's is, Utopia. Yeah, it's Utopia. And, and, and that track was probably recorded in one. Um, so we made the one record. take. Well, I don't know about one take, but everybody recording, playing at the same oh, okay, time, and, and yet uh, it wasn't a lot of overdubbing. And you know, how long does it take to record Wasp? It wasn't long. I mean, three weeks maybe. Wow. And you guys, you just lived there, and I lived there. We we'd go into the studio like out in his barn, and then we'd go in and like watch TV at night. And his girlfriend would like make popcorn and sandwiches and. This is, like, he, he produced, my favorite band's Cheap Trick, and he produced an oh, album yeah, yeah. called Next Position, Please. And that's what they said. We would work 11 a.m. till 6, then we would watch the news, and then we would have dinner. And Were then, they there, too, staying at his place? Uh, yeah, yeah, they stayed It was interesting, there. too, because, you know, Bearsville uh, and Woodstock, New York, where Woodstock happened, this was where he lived, and he was in the, in the midst of making very, very, very early videos, pre-MTV. Mm -hmm. And my video for the Do Run Run that had Phil Spector in it mm -hmm. before he went to prison <laughs> um, was one of the first videos ever made. And they, they, they put it on commercial television. They sold it like a commercial, like 30 second spot. Um, but Todd was sort of in the avant-garde of that and, and the vanguard of that and, and uh, making these videos and at this studio 
that ultimately became very, uh, you know, booked all the time. Yeah. Um, and also computers, you know, and Roger was very into like, there's this thing called an Apple computer. Yeah, he, Todd was always on the cutting edge of yeah. all that new stuff. Yeah. Can I, can I play a song for you? Please. Let me have the... the uh, so this is, uh, since I talked about Cheap Trick and I was telling you, and you had said how Todd would try to make, uh, make you know, get himself in to the band. Well, I don't sound. know. I don't know if he could help it. I don't, I don't think right. he did it consciously. It just... Well, this is a song on the album that he produced for Cheap Trick called Next Position, Please. This is a song that Todd wrote and gave to them. And I was reading a book and, and uh, I think the drummer said, one day Todd said, I'm going to write a song for you guys today. And he would like go upstairs and then he'd come down and say, okay, I have the first verse. And then he'd go upstairs and come back down and go, okay, I have the bridge. And, he would, and then he said, by the end of the day, he had written the song and then the next day we recorded it. And you'll hear that this doesn't sound as much like Cheap Trick as it sounds like <laughs> Todd. So this is called, uh, make sure I have it all turned up. This is called Heaven's Falling. It's a great song. And it sounds very much like Todd. Yeah. The whole thing sounds actually sounds like Utopia. Yes, it does. The tracks yeah. do too. Yeah. Um, when is that recorded? Uh, 1983. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple years after you were there. Uh, well, this has been amazing, man. I really appreciate it. And I just called you man and that was weird. It's okay, but, dude. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we do have a playout song. I picked this one and I said, we, we don't have a playout song. So I want to play, Do You Believe in Magic? And you said... You're fine with that, but 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 you. It's a, it's fine. I, it's one of my favorite songs ever, and I think it was my idea to record it. Mm -hmm. The only issue I have with it at all, and it's really minor, and I should, probably shouldn't even mention it, is that it sounds like it was recorded to sound like the Do Run Run. Okay. Because the Do Run Run had been a number one record, and I was like, oh, we can do that again. Um, but as it turns out, you can't do that again. <laughs> But but the song was a big hit, actually. Yeah. It was a top 30 song, or maybe a top see 40 I song. An, I think I have the number here. It was it was something. It's it's definitely yeah. something. Uh, number 31. Top oh, there, 40. There, there you go. It's top 40. Top 32. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about, real quick, uh, before... You don't have a website, but you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, and I have a Facebook page, but it's like a Facebook... I don't really know how to use it. Okay. I mean, it's like Walmart has a Facebook page. You know what I mean? It's like, you can... You can like me, but you can't friend me. Where and <laughs> and what about Twitter though? Where they want to follow Twitter? You I'm Twitter? pretty good. I, I I you know I really like Twitter um, because it, it's a writer's 
medium. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I like the you know economy of whatever, how many letters you get, or yeah. 140 or whatever, it's now double. It's 280. I liked 280. it better when it was 140 yeah. because... It kept out the riffraff. Yeah, and especially if you're, uh, if you're a joke writer, you really hone it to where as, as few words as possible to get yeah. your joke out. I always, I like that, but 280 is what it is. I, I engage with people a bit. Well, and that's how we, this is how we initially hooked up here. Yeah. You, you tweeted something or, or responded to a Todd tweet and then I responded to both of you and I said, oh, I'd love to have you on my podcast to talk about Wasp. And then you said, don't ever call me here again. <laughs> You said, will there be swag? Oh, I did, yes. And I said, and I said, absolutely. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. We don't we don't do swag. Here. I, I see that. I'm but, looking all over for but my no, swag. No, no. Do you see over on that chair? Do you see that red bag over there? Oh no. Swag? Yeah, right see that? Get out of town. Really? So you're my first swag person because I wasn't gonna I can't lie. Well, buddy. I don't you're gonna lie. start a trend. Other people are gonna want the swag when they come in here. Yeah, Nancy Wilson was here. Uh, Two Did weeks she ago. get the swag? She, she, didn't, she didn't ask she for didn't it. She didn't ask for the swag. You got to ask for it. You ask for it, you'll get it. Well. Um, so we, I do have swag for you. Thank but, you. Um, but yeah, Twitter's, a, Twitter's an amazing thing. I really I really like it, and I'm glad that you, you know, and then I said, you know, PM me, or here's my email address. So it was really cool. So, uh, so what is your Twitter handle? At? Uh, it's Sean P. Cassidy, P for Paul, my middle name, and uh, at whatever, Sean P. Cassidy. At, at, yeah. That's it at Sean P. Cassidy. Yeah, and Sean is S H A U N. Just to confuse people. Well, yeah, there's many ways to yeah. spell it. Yeah, that S E A N. Forget it. I don't know. Well, I was the S E A N when were. I was born. My father named me because that's the Irish spelling. Sure. And, and the nurse brought me to my mother and said, "Here's a little scene." And my mother said, "Uh, mm, change it." Pre Sean Connery. <laughs> pre pen. Change, change that up. Yeah. Uh, we're at Rock Solid Show, Kyle. You're at Kyle Dotson Funny. I am at Pat underscore Francis. Go to rocksolidpodcast.com for all things about the show. Uh, we're on iTunes. Um, when is New Amsterdam coming back for the second half of its season? Uh, we are. We just took our fall season break, mm -hmm. which they do now, and uh, we're coming back on January 8th. Uh, I'm actually in the, right, in the middle of writing episode 17 right now. Nice. Uh, and I'm writing a pilot for NBC at the same time. So it's a very busy holiday season. And, and, and so again, thank you for giving us your time to come here today. So I'm I really grateful for the break it. and grateful to hear and think about some of these songs that I haven't thought about for a long time. Sounds great in the headphones, isn't it? Like if we, Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and when do you find out if you get picked up for a second season? Uh, well, uh, we're picked up for the back nine. Yeah. Um, the show's doing very well. If it's not the most successful new drama, it's the second most successful okay. new drama. It's doing really well. And, and if you want to see this and you can't find it, go to iTunes because that's where I went. I went to iTunes and I, and I downloaded uh, the pilot and then the third episode, which is the one Sean wrote, even though they're all written by committee. We know how it works. Well, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your name's on that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, what else do I want to see? I just want to... some 91, you wrote a TV movie, Strays. 94, you wrote... You wrote a TV sequel to Midnight Run called Midnight Run for Your Life. Second thing I wrote, yeah. Yeah, yeah you did a show called uh, Ruby and the Rockets in 2009. You got to work with David and your brother Patrick. Patrick, yeah. And a very good uh, late friend of mine, Marsh McCall, who was a brilliant writer and a great, great guy. And there's Emerald City, and, and you, you were an episode and were a consulting producer in a season of Blue Bloods. And uh, just always working, always working, always working. So it was fun to... Uh, Got a lot of mouths to feed. <laughs> you do have a lot of mouths to feed. So, all right, here we go. 
Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Kyle. Let's hear a little bit of not to do run run two. This is do you believe in magic? Thank do, you do, guys. Do 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 you believe in magic? Thank you, Sean. Go to this summer, the new style